Uh, the year was 1998, and sort of the reality TV craze was still in its infancy in America. I mean, this was before Survivor even started. And this movie, The Truman Show, is kind of taking a look at what might it be like in 5 or 10 or 20 years? What might it be like for people living in, I don't know, 2017? Are there going to be corporations that adopt babies from unwanted pregnancies and turn their entire life into a, a reality show? And that's sort of the premise of this movie. What, what does that really mean? What's that all about? Where are we going as a society? And so the creator of this TV show is played by Ed Harris. Did you notice his name? Christoph was his name. And the way it's spelled, you could pronounce it, Christ of. He's the Christ of Sea Haven Island, this giant dome-shaped TV set that they build in the Hollywood Hills. And Truman lives his entire life in that bubble. This dome along with the Great Wall of China, these are the only two man-made structures visible from outer space is the way uh, the movie talks about it. And Christoph is like, people are tired of fake, fake emotions, fake actors, fake stories. They want something that is real, something that is true, so they named the baby Truman. And of course, everything in his life is not true. And his wife, an actor who plays his wife, says it's a noble life. His best friend says nothing is fake. It's all true. It's just merely controlled. And for the next 90 minutes or so, they take a look at a lot of questions. One of the questions is, is there a way to truly live? Is there a way to truly live? That's the question we want to dig into today. We're in a message series called I am, and it comes from the Gospel of John. Gospel is just a fancy word that means good news. Four books in the Bible we call the Gospels that tell the good news. They're sort of biographies of the life of Jesus. And one of the things that makes John's Gospel stand out are these seven I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate and the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. Today's I am statement comes from John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, go ahead and open up. We'll be hanging out in John 14 today. Before we get to chapter 14, though, I want to back up to chapter 12. It's the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's what we'll celebrate next weekend on Palm Sunday. Jesus comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and everyone thinks that this is maybe the time that Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom, this new kingdom of Israel. So they're hailing him as a king, waving palm branches. Turn the page to chapter 13. Jesus is in an upper room. He's with his disciples. They're ready to celebrate the Passover. First thing he does is he washes his disciples' feet. Uh, they celebrate the Passover. He gives this new command, love one another. The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Jesus also makes three predictions in John chapter 13. He predicts one of his disciples will betray him. He predicts another disciple will deny even knowing him. And Jesus predicts his death. I'm going to die. I just rode into town as the king and... Now I'm going to die. And imagine, try to put yourself in the position of his disciples. They've given up everything to follow this guy for three years. They believe in him. They believe he's the one. He's the one that's going to usher in the kingdom. Now he says, I'm going to die. And two of them, two of their close friends, are going to play instrumental roles leading up to Jesus' death. Imagine what would be going on in your mind. Imagine the emotions that would be running through your heart. And you turn the page to John chapter 14, and let's read together what Jesus says to his disciples. Read this with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. 
all kinds of chaos and confusion is breaking out in the lives of his disciples, and Jesus says, don't be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. It seems like this maybe troubles the disciples even more. And so Jesus continues to try to explain to them why they should not be troubled. This is verse 2 and verse 3, Jesus talking with his disciples. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, because we're not a part of the Middle Eastern culture of Jesus' day, we miss out on a lot of the meaning behind Jesus' words. If we were a part of the Middle Eastern culture of Jesus' day, we would understand the language that he's using in those two verses. It's language that is connected with a Jewish wedding ceremony. And Jesus' disciples would have understood this. And this is part of the reason why they're confused. What's Jesus doing talking about a wedding? He's just predicted his death. We should be talking about a funeral. In fact, when do we most often go to John chapter 14? Funerals. But Jesus is talking about a wedding. There's three stages to a Jewish wedding in Jesus' day. Stage one is the contract stage. So the groom's family and the bride's family, they would come together and they would agree to the terms of the marriage. And remember, marriage was different in Jesus' day than it is in our days. Marriage was often not about love, but it was more about financial realities, more about protection and how do we make sure that we're going to be able to take care of this woman for the rest of her life or any kids that might come up. So they would draw up the terms of the marriage contract. And as soon as they signed that contract, the couple was married. Hadn't had the wedding yet, but they were married. And they would enter in, sometimes the language used for this stage, we read about a betrothal. Remember the Christmas story? Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, are betrothed to be married. And we're like, well, what does that mean? It's like an engagement? No, they're married. Remember, Joseph says he's going to divorce Mary when he finds out she's pregnant. They're married, they just haven't had the wedding, which makes no sense to us, but it's because we're not part of that culture. So how long does this stage last? The contract or betrothal stage lasts. It lasts until we start uh, chapter two or stage two, which is the wedding chamber. After they signed the contract, the groom would leave the bride's home and he would go to his father's home. And he would immediately begin construction of a bridal chamber. They call it a chuppah in the uh, Jewish tradition. And they still, weddings today, modern Jewish weddings, bride, groom, rabbi, underneath the hoopah, a canopy with four posts, and it's supposed to represent the wedding chamber of Jesus' day. The groom goes to work building this wedding chamber, and it was typically just an addition to his father's home, a room that was attached to his father's home, and this is where the happy couple would live. Wouldn't that make you a happy couple? (laughs) Uh, My father-in-law is here, so... How long does it take? How long does the stage last? Well, it depends. Are you a good carpenter? Which I'm not. And my father-in-law would just laugh at me. I'd never get married, probably, if I had to build a chamber. And so the bride waits for the completion of this wedding chamber. She doesn't know. Is it going to be three months or six months or three years? Always be prepared. Always be ready. And it was always a surprise. 
when the groom was going to return to get the bride. The bride never knew, but was supposed to always be ready. Eventually, the chamber would be completed. The groom would come back, get the bride, and there would be this great celebration. And the language around this often in the Bible is a wedding feast, a wedding feast. And so if you keep these three stages in the back of your mind, contract, chamber, celebration, as you read through the Bible, you actually start to see this kind of language and wedding symbolism showing up all over the place as it relates to what does it mean to live a life of faith. So think about Jesus' very first um, miracle that he performs. It's at a wedding. During the celebration stage, they run out of wine. He changes the water to wine. Think about one of the primary metaphors or images that the New Testament writers give. What does it mean to be the church? And the church is called often the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Jesus has all kinds of uh, parables where he talks about weddings. He talks about wedding feasts. He talks about bridesmaids and the importance of keeping enough oil in your lamp so that you will always be prepared. You'll always be ready because you never know when the groom is going to come back. Um, even what we were reading in John chapter 13, when they celebrate the Passover meal, Jesus institutes communion, which we're going to celebrate at the end of the message. And part of the celebration of communion, Jesus says, it's a new covenant, a new contract between the groom and his bride. Think about uh, the book of Revelation, this celebration, this party that's going to happen in heaven, it's referred to as the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so this kind of language is used all over the place, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, you don't need to be afraid, I'm going to my father's house, I'm preparing a place for you, I will come back and get you, so you can always be where I am. And then he says in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going, and Thomas replies, no we don't. You know the way to where I'm going, no we don't, we don't know where you're going, how can we possibly know the way? And we find ourselves in that kind of place on a pretty regular basis, don't we? Where we don't know the way. We, we've, maybe we feel stuck. Uh, stuck in our marriage or stuck in a vocation, a job situation. Stuck in unhealthy behavioral or thought patterns. It's easy to get to this place when we're stuck. And I don't know if this is your experience, but often when I'm in that kind of place where I feel stuck, it seems like everybody else has all the answers. Everybody else knows which way I should go. Everybody else knows which direction I should take. Have you talked to this person? Have you read this book? Oh, oh. When, when we're stuck, we don't know which way to go. We don't know the way to truly live. And Truman Burbank gets to that kind of place in his life, in, in this movie. He's always wanted to be kind of an adventurer and explorer. He wants to travel, but for all kinds of reasons, he, he never does. He says he wants to go to Fiji because you can't get any farther before you start to come back. And so he's thinking about this, but he doesn't know quite how to do it. And it's starting to, he's starting to get suspicious about his life. Like it's this grand prank, this April Fool's joke that everybody is in on except for him. So he gets together with his buddy Marlon to kind of talk it out. Take a look. When we're stuck, uh, confused, troubled, when we don't know which way to go, when we can't really tell the truth from a lie, Jesus says to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every week I write a weekly email and uh, send it out. It's kind of a preview for the weekend, but also a way to get communication out to you that I think the congregation uh, would need to know. If you've been like 
man, I wish I could just get one more email and you're not getting this one. Here's how you can sign up for it. Sign up for the Hope e-news and uh, you'll be good to go. It's right on the front page. You might have to scroll down depending on the browser. A couple of weeks ago, I sent out an email to the congregation letting you know that Pastor Josh is on his way to a new role at a new church in Atlanta, Georgia. <gasps> what? Yeah, you should sign up for the email. Then you would know. So, um, his last day with us will be Easter Sunday, and then he and his wife, Laura, are going to pack up and hit the road for uh, Sweet Georgia Brown or something like that. And so I've asked Josh if he would come and talk to us about this horrible decision that he has made. And no, uh, actually, uh, I think this is really important for us to hear. How does God show us the way in each of our lives. I also want you to know next Saturday we're going to have a farewell open house kind of celebration. It'll be in the harbor, which is the room right below us, and 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock and come. And what, You said you wanted all kinds of Hawkeye gear, right? That's really the gift you would want most. So Josh, talk to us a little bit about uh, how has Jesus been the way for you, particularly in this season? Yeah, I mean, if you've ever been there in, the, in these like big life decisions, uh, it's, it's never easy, uh, especially uh, when you're leaving something that's really great. Um, we have been so blessed over the last few years to be part of uh, Lutheran Church of Hope and to live in Iowa, and it's just, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so our decision to move uh, was not an easy one to make. I mean, we do believe that it's the way that God is calling us uh, to go, but uh, it really wasn't honestly in our plans. Our, our kind of five-year plan uh, as a couple uh, included staying here longer. We love our, the jobs that we have here. Uh, we love the community we have here. Uh, but it's just sometimes how it goes when uh, Jesus is your compass, when Jesus is the way uh, for you in your life, that uh, you know, life doesn't always turn out like you've planned. Um, any other planners out there, people who like to, uh, you know, you've got like the 27 steps you need to take to get this thing done or that thing or make this decision. So maybe it's just a few of us, right? But it's good. The world needs us. So just a little glimpse into my weird messed up planning life and just kind of the nerd that I am. So my wife and I, we were, uh, when we just started dating, right? It was our first, it was actually our first date, um, in Asheville, North Carolina. And I asked her this question, I said, where do you see yourself in five years? Our first date. And she's like, wait, hold on. Is this a job interview or is this a date? Like, what's going on right now? This is so romantic, Josh. And uh, luckily, I was better uh, later on at the romantic, like, wooing, right? So, um, but I asked her this question, and this was her response. She said, you know, I don't necessarily think about it in terms of, like, a five-year plan. I just try to be more faithful in, like, the next step, in what's right in front of me. And I'm thinking, like, oh, great. Here's this, like... She doesn't know where she's going in her life. This girl's got, like, nothing going for her. It's just, what the heck? Like, she's just going to live in the moment and float around, and uh, I, this relationship is never going to work out. I honestly thought that for, you know, a, a few minutes, and then we kept talking, and I decided, well, oh, maybe, maybe there's something here. Um, but I really think, actually, that she was onto something. And one of the things that Laura has taught me over these last few years that we've been together is that it really is important not just to focus on your plans, um, but to focus on your relationship with God. Because if really, when Jesus says he's the way and the truth and the life, if what that means is that Jesus is inviting us into this relationship uh, to experience this life with him, it needs to be all about relationship. If John 14 is uh, this marriage, this wedding metaphor, then relationship has got to be at the center of what it means for Jesus to be the way and the truth and the life for us. 
if I'm honest, like looking uh, back over my life and the plans that I've made, uh, since high school, I felt like I was going to uh, serve the church in some way to serve God. I knew that'd be a big part of my life and my work. Uh, but honestly, like I, I made a lot of plans to serve God, but I didn't always understand that like just as important, actually more important than making these plans to serve God, it's about uh, focusing on my relationship with God. If I, if I want Jesus to be the way for me, I've got to focus on my relationship with God more than my plans to serve God. That's what Laura has taught me in this, this idea, right, that, I mean, we still have plans for our future and where we hope to go, where we believe that God is calling us to go, but at the same time, we're working to cultivate this relationship uh, in the every step-by-step kind of way to be faithful uh, to God and where he is leading us. We're certainly not perfect at it by any means, but it's crazy to me to think because none of my plans uh, from, you know, when I think back to early high school and uh, college when I was starting to like think five years down the road, okay, what am I going to be doing after college? What's going to be coming next? None of my plans included moving to the beautiful state of Iowa. Uh, None of my plans included working at Lutheran Church of Hope. I had actually, right after college, worked at a large, like one of the largest churches in the country and said, I want nothing to do with another megachurch. And yet here I am, right? Uh, None of my plans included going to seminary. And so it's it's been awesome that, you know, we have all these plans that we lay out, and yet God, um, in his goodness and his grace, he has sometimes different plans for us, uh, plans to uh, give us a future, to give us hope. Uh, and I am so thankful because in my best laid plans, I could not have imagined uh, the last four years and the blessing that it has been uh, to serve as a pastor in this congregation, to walk alongside people uh, in good times, uh, though I've only done like six weddings, I think. Nobody, nobody was interested in the intern for the weddings, you know, but everybody was fine with the intern for the funerals. So I've done a lot more funerals and I've done a lot of baptisms and that has been such an incredible joy for me uh, because I do believe that is so much, I mean, baptism is all about relationship, about God inviting us into his family. And so uh, what better way uh, to be reminded so often for me uh, of you know, what faith is really all about. It's not just our plans for serving God, but at the heart, it's about uh, our relationship with God, this loving Father. And so one of the verses that uh, has been especially meaningful for me in the last few years uh, has uh, been a verse, uh, a chapter later in John's gospel. In John 15, verse 16, uh, Jesus is still speaking to the disciples, and he's reminding them of kind of their purpose and uh, what this whole journey for them has been about. And this is what he says. Uh, Let's read this together. It's up on the screen. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And I'm so thankful that um, I wasn't necessarily just focused on my plans over these last four years, but that uh, Laura and other people have reminded me about the importance of relationship with God, to have that intimate Uh, prayerful time to be focused on where God's calling me, uh, not just through like quiet meditative prayer, but uh, through uh, prayer with other people, through conversations with other people, uh, through reading scripture and just listening. I'm so glad that that has been my focus, uh, more so than my plans. Because 
this is what I've gotten to experience. Uh, I've grown myself. Uh, we've grown as a couple. We've got to see incredible fruit uh, over the last few years. And it's been a great blessing and joy for us. And we're very thankful. And we certainly will uh, miss everybody in Iowa. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all stand up. Um, Josh is talking about prayer right at the end, and as much as he wants to get off the stage, I think we need to pray for him. It'd be good. So uh, if you want to, you can hold out your hand in kind of a posture of blessing, and let's pray for Josh. Lord, uh, thank you uh, that your ways are not our ways. Uh, Your ways are better than our ways. And so I thank you that your plans for Josh and for his wife, Laura, included a stint here in Iowa and um, at Hope. And now we are grateful to you for uh, the ways in which you have used Josh and you've used Laura, you've produced fruit that will last through uh, his service here and his relationship building and uh, community building here. We also ask now that your hand of blessing would go with them as they head to Atlanta, that you would continue to open doors and make a way for them in their new life and their new ministry and Uh, We're grateful that they get to be closer to family, uh, but we also know that uh, family is more than just blood. It's the family of God. It's the body of Christ. And so continue to use Josh and the unique ways that you've gifted him uh, to be a a great man of God for you, a pastor for you and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. We'll see you around for a couple. You can all be seated. I want to remind you, we're talking about prayer. Uh, during Holy Week, we're going to have a pr- 24-7 prayer room open in the prayer tower that we have on the side of the building. We're going to ask people to sign up to take a one-hour slot in this prayer room. And uh, some people might think, really, just sit and be quiet and you know, fold my hands and pray? for." You can do that if you want to. But it's also more than that. It's, it's about building your relationship with God. And so families have found this to be a really cool time to spend together. As a family, the prayer team has put together prayer guides, so specific things you can be praying about, but also creative ways for you to be praying through creative writing or art or music. And so uh, small groups, you can uh, take an hour in the prayer room as well. And if you don't want to come to the church and pray, you can pray wherever you are. It still works and it's good. So uh, let's, but let's be praying. Uh, God is on the move. Cool things are happening. And as Josh was talking about um, what God's been up to in his life, I think this idea is really important that more and more all the time, our focus is on our relationship with God more so than our plans to serve God. Focus on the relationship. That's what this year is about at Hope. To know and to be known is our theme. It's all about relationships, growing in relationships, getting to know God more and more all the time. And I'm surprised at how often I see this idea popping up in Scripture. It's it's even in our passage today in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And the disciples are completely dumbfounded and confused by this. What in the world does this even mean? We like that Father bit. We want to come to the Father. And so Philip, one of the disciples, says, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And let's read together how Jesus responds to Philip. Read this with me. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? 
three years of living with Jesus, following him around, listening to all his teaching, seeing his miracles and all the I am statements. And Philip still doesn't know who Jesus is. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody see the cover of Time Magazine this week? They're asking the question, is truth dead? And the cover is formatted almost exactly the way it was formatted about 40 years ago when the cover story asked the question, is God dead? And you read the article and it's about how it seems more and more all the time, uh, people in this country seem not so interested in the truth. And when people are not telling the truth, we have different language for it besides saying it's a lie. So is truth dead? Well, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and he's alive, so no truth cannot be dead. But what does Jesus mean when he says he's the truth? A couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, there's an intellectual truth to Jesus. Show us the Father, Philip says to Jesus, and Jesus like, the Father and I are one. The Father's in me, and I'm in the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you know? Don't you know who I am? And so Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to believe at an intellectual level. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who came to save the world. He wants us to know this in our minds and for that to change the way we live. There's also a relational truth to Jesus. And if you are wired sort of like I am wired, you don't like this idea. There shouldn't be adjectives in front of truth. It's either truth or it's not. What are we doing kind of categorizing truth? So what does that mean? You can have your truth and I can have my truth and they can all be the same even if it's different and welcome to the world where Time Magazine asks, is, is truth dead? So what are you talking about, preacher boy? There's an intellectual truth and a relational truth. What, do you, what does that even mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me see if I can explain it for us. So my wife, Wendy, and I, in October, it will be our 20th wedding anniversary and I was looking at all these pictures of everybody going to nice warm places on beaches for, for spring break. And we started thinking maybe we should do that for our 20th wedding anniversary. At some place warm with a beach and no kids, that sounds like a good idea. So um, even though it's far away, we're thinking about it. And I want you to imagine this scene. Maybe we don't go to Fiji, that's too far away, but what if we go to the Caribbean or something? And it's a romantic night, it's our 20th anniversary, we're at a restaurant overlooking the sea and the sun is setting and everything's perfect. And I take out a card and I slide it across the table to my bride in the suave and debonair way that only I can do. <laughs> and she opens up the card on our 20th anniversary and she reads this, Wendy, you are five foot two inches tall. You have blue eyes. Your hair is short. You have six kids. We have been married for 20 years. Love, Scott. <laughs> and you don't think she would be impressed by that, huh? Why? It's true. It's true. She wouldn't be impressed because there's a difference between intellectual truth and relational truth. Imagine the same scene unfolds and I slide the card across the table to her and this time I read this, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? <laughs> Thou art more lovely and more temperate. I'm not sure about the temperate part. Rough winds, if you know Wendy, rough winds do shake the darling buds of May and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. Ah, 
But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Ta-da! I mean, that, that's different, isn't it? There's a difference between intellectual truth and relational truth. And in the Old Testament, the way and the truth and the life was the Torah, the written law, the written commandments. Know the Torah, know the law, understand this, follow the Torah. Jesus comes along and Jesus doesn't say, I'm doing away with Torah. He doesn't say, I'm doing away with the law. He says, I've come to fulfill it. I'm the personification of the Torah. This is what it looks like to live a life where you're following Torah. So now, follow Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Get to know Jesus, the one who's the way and the truth and the life. Truman Burbank, he's living a lie, and his best friend says to him, the last thing I'd ever do is lie to you, but everything's a lie. And Truman starts to figure out he is dissatisfied with living a lie. He wants to know the truth. He believes the truth will set him free. And so he's scared of traveling because Christoph, the god of Seahaven Island, has orchestrated things to make Truman want to just stay where he was born and raised, not take that step of faith. So there's an episode where his father drowns at sea, so uh, Truman's scared of the sea, which means you're probably going to stay on the island, right? And there's propaganda in all the radio stations. The worst way to travel is air travel. It's so unsafe, and other parts of the world are just terribly dangerous. Why would anyone ever want to leave the safety and security of Sea Haven Island? But Truman is restless, and he is convinced there's something that he is missing. So he gets on his dad's boat, and he starts to sail, and there's a storm, but he makes it through, and eventually his ship bumps into the edge of this giant dome TV set where he's lived his entire life, and he sees a staircase and he sees a door. And take a look at what happens next. Is there a way to truly live? Absolutely. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and the one who is the way and the truth and the life will open the door to eternal life for you.